0: Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul Favor. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn, and you're listening to the Pinelander Podcast. This is the podcast for America's warriors. Today, we're talking about a subject that I love, and I hope you do too, is warrior philosophy. Uh, We're going to be joined today by our guest uh, and blacksmith publishing contributor, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Jason Doherty. Welcome, J.D.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
2: Well, we, can't, we couldn't have a, a discussion on warrior philosophy without having a, a fellow warrior poet on the, on the podcast. So uh, you, you definitely it's, it's okay. you definitely qualify uh, for that.
0: Yeah, let me... Well,
1: that's that's good to go.
0: Yeah, so let me uh, just set the stage here. So, um, you know, most people think, okay, philosophy, it's time to go on to the next podcast. So this is kind of boring, but... Uh, philosophy, uh, I would say, just in my own words, enables uh, the human mind to think deeply. Uh, it, it enables us to get to a level that, uh, that penetrates to the deeper level of things, uh, helps us organize our thoughts, helps us systematize our thoughts. So, you know, whatever it is, you know, your philosophy of how to organize a library or a philosophy of gardening or whatever it is. And so uh, when we look at philosophy, it helps us to uh organize everything into a workable framework. And so when we look at philosophy from a warrior standpoint, we're looking at everything from, uh, you know, our uh, you know, combat in general, war in general, control of emotion, controlling of our emotions, uh, recognizing uh, various patterns in the world. And then uh, then bigger things like uh, towards a, what's what we would call a virtue. Like warrior virtues, warrior truths—you know those types of things. And what's right, what's wrong? Yeah, and uh, so having just said that, uh, you know, we know JD to be, to be a guy that's uh, well-read and uh, a guy that's uh, uh, thought through uh, uh, a lot of these uh, all the, a lot of these issues. You've had some time to, uh, you know, as a commander, uh, as someone who's seen war. Uh, I've experienced all these things, and so you're, you're developing uh, your own version, your own brand of philosophy. It's really just an outworking of your experience. And so yeah, I just wanted you to kind of uh, be able to introduce yourself and just talk us through you know, why, why philosophy is important to you, uh, why you think it's important to uh, those in the military, and, and things like that.
2: And, and warriors today, especially. Yeah. I think it's a little different environment we live in, too. Than it, than it used to be. At least when I when I first joined in the '80s, I think it's almost like crucial that you have some sort of uh, foundation, some sort of uh, oh, framework to work within.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, I think mental frameworks are are necessary when we're young. I think we often are moving too quickly toward whatever it is that we've set our eyes on, and don't maybe slow down enough until. mid-life somewhere 30s 40s whenever that is uh, to try to make sense of things Mm -hmm. and the mental framework uh, i think it's incumbent upon uh, anybody who is uh, serious about a well-lived life uh, to spend some time thinking about that you know there are kind of three buckets for me philosophy being one of them but You have history, um, history provides old solutions to new problems. Um, General Mattis said that if you haven't read hundreds of books, you're functionally illiterate, personal experiences is not enough to sustain you when things get hard. And then you have, I think psychology, which helps us understand, you know, what makes me tick and then philosophy for me is it's it's what makes humans tick it, it it's a way to make sense of the human experience and paul what you said kind <clears> of <throat> resonated with me in the sense that it, it helps it helps us order things to understand the natural order of things and and by that to order our lives accordingly, in concert with natural laws, so to speak. So, regardless of say religious leanings, um, uh, there are natural laws, and the closer I align my life to those laws, the better off I'll be. And you know, philosophy. There's a guy that I that I've read. He he's died maybe five years ago or so, but he was a philosophy chair at Stanford. He was also Christian, a guy named Dallas Willard. And he said all of philosophy over the course of human history boils down to three questions. One, what is the good life? Two, who is a good person? And three, what's keeping me from that kind of life? Mm. And if you answer those questions, you have a a better shot at living something like what Marcus Aurelius simply referred to as a well-ordered life. And the doctrines that we we have to carry within us, he said they, they should be few, fundamental, sufficient at one meeting to wash away all pain and send you back free of resentment to what you must rejoin. And so it's a pathway, philosophy in particular, is a pathway to both fully experience, better understand, and make a more significant contribution to the life that we have no choice but to live.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I think, uh, I mean, that is definitely a foundation. Uh, I love the, I'm going to get some, uh, an enormous amount of tread off that one quote. Uh, it may find its way in a sermon or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh uh, you know, and I totally agree with you when it comes to, you know, uh your experiences uh in the military, just say just let's just assume everyone who's listening is, you know, uh serving in the military or has served in the military and and uh if we don't think critically about who we are and where we're where we've been and where we're going, we could we could get lost in the sauce. Uh, especially if we're a, ver- a veteran, uh, you know, we've, we've experienced some things. We're, we're trying to figure out what those things mean. And uh, so I think uh, I look at philosophy that all, uh, in that way also is making sense because uh, I want to be that good man. I want to make some sense out of that too, uh, mm-hmm. making sense out of life. And, uh, and, and you know, we know uh, – I know way too many guys who aren't with us anymore. Because uh, I think mm-hmm. they, uh, they just couldn't think that way, or they didn't see the use in it. Am I trying to draw ext- uh, an, uh, you know, an extension into, you don't think this way, you, know, you could end up in a bad way, but it's, it's a
2: possibility. No, I, th- I think you just brought up something that I, I've been thinking about. I'm not sure if um, it's real or not, but in my perception is um, today it's, it's very chaotic. I don't I don't remember life really being this chaotic growing up uh, when I was a young man, thank God, because I, I didn't have much of a brain back then anyway. But, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> me and you both. My, 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 <laughs> I hear you. My, my point is I, I hate to think of my 20-year-old self, okay, um, coming of age in today's sort of chaotic world. Um, because it was really, I mean, Growing up for me was actually pretty easy. I mean, everybody was, was lighting you up. I mean, if the principal wasn't spanking me at school, um, you know, my neighbors were freaking hemming me up. My, my parents were hemming me up. I mean, everybody, their brother's uncle was hemming you up when I, when I was growing up. And, um, you know, you were going to get in trouble. You were going to do stupid things. You were going to have youthful indiscretion. But it seemed like the world, at least around me, when, when I was growing up, was 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 relatively ordered. There was sort of a this is right and this is wrong, and everybody in the communities were were, were kind of in in concurrence with that. Uh, there really wasn't any uh, a few outliers, but generally it seemed like the majority of the folks that I grew up around had the same ideas of what right and wrong was, shared the same philosophy. Um, today I'm not sure if that's the case. It's very. It's very chaotic it's very confusing i couldn't imagine being a 20 year old now trying to figure out you know what's right and what's wrong and i think a really good example of that is we what we see uh, here recently in the news uh going on in israel with hamas um a lot of uh conflict over uh right and wrong uh you know was hamas justified to go into these communities and you know, rape and murder children and women. I mean, this is how this is how crazy it's kind of gotten in today's society. So, to me, I think philosophy today is even more important. Than was uh, back when I was coming of age.
0: Yeah, I want uh, I want JD to, to chime in here. I totally agree. Uh, things are chaotic. And, and on that note, I think uh, JD. I know you could uh, wax philosophically, pun intended. About uh, how philosophy starts with awareness. Let me just throw that out there. Maybe, maybe that's a good uh, launching off part, point. Is uh, really uh, when you're 20-something, you may not be thinking in those deeper levels. You know, you're just you're saying how you can go crush a PT test and, you know, whatever else is in your brain at, the po- at that moment. But, I mean, would you agree that philosophy starts with awareness?
1: Absolutely, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Um, there are, of course, like psychologically speaking, you know, moments in time that uh, have to do with consciousness that are pivotal and trans- transformative in the life of an individual. You know, from the time you become aware at say at when you're a toddler uh consciousness the first stage of consciousness is is that you realize you are a unique entity hence the reason toddlers say no so much is because they're asserting their existence as a unique entity and so they don't they're not flowing anymore they're saying no i'm me that's what that means i'm me and and then you have adolescence, and then you have, you know, the brain's not fully developed until you're say twenty-five years old, and then and so there are different times in a person's life. Men and women seem to differ on the the timelines, but the 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 level of consciousness that leads to awareness, I think, is dependent upon the individual's willingness to face the unknown. So we have all of these experiences and things, whether external or internal. And ultimately there has to be a moment of courage in a person's life where they're willing to, to, to face or square up to the truth about maybe who they are, the truth about where they came from, the truth about, their position in the culture or society in which they live. And like Carl Jung said that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So there is a moment in time, I think when we have the ability to make a choice and for some it's sooner and others later, and some people never get there, but you can make a choice. To delve into those things that drive us the prime movers that exist for us, and to decide whether or not we're okay with it, or to, to at least attempt to understand it. And there's there's the idea that you simply can't address, understand, fix, improve, explain things that you're unwilling to face. And so Awareness that those things even exist is is maybe the first step. And then the next one right behind it is, well, what am I going to do about it? Mm. So I have to be willing to, you know, it takes a lot of courage, I think, to, to face, to face things in ourselves. And ultimately that for me, that's the point of philosophy is that I can build what what's been it's called a citadel the inner citadel to construct an inner citadel where you have carefully thought through those things those core principles by which you will live regardless of what is happening around you. As Admiral Stockdale seven years in the Hilton he said his definition of a hero was somebody who refuses the status quo when it does not meet his or her standards. Well, I have to know what my standards are. It's helpful in the military because we're taught what our standards are initially, but then a couple of combat experiences, you're not so sure anymore. Yeah. Um, and so then, then guys, especially veterans coming back from combat scenarios, Um, every, everybody's different. So it doesn't have to be a a horrible deployment and, you know, uh, to force somebody into a position where they really have to take a look at themselves, but it's an invitation. And that's where I think, that's where I think philosophy can be useful. Um, because it is all of humanity's attempt to make sense of the human experience. And there has been suffering and pain and brutality and all of the things that any of us have ever experienced and worse and philosophers have been working through this now for thousands of years. And so it would seem arrogant not to tap into some of that wisdom.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, as, as we're talking, we know, I know personally, uh, scores of guys, hundreds of guys that, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're called bad names by their wives. Uh, they, they're, they're just emotional infants and, uh, they don't think on any, any type of deeper level at all. And so they, Mm -hmm. they just kind of, they get older, they maintain the same habits, uh, good, good and bad or indifferent. And they uh, they never get to this place where they're just looking at their life like okay, what does it all mean, you know? And I think uh, so. When when I was younger, I would look. I'll be honest. I look at guys like me and you. I I would say, uh, they're they're geeks. You know, they geeked out, you know, because I didn't understand. We we mock what we don't understand, but once you know, once we're faced with, uh, I think in some ways we're we're thrusted. To either get philosophical and ask these types of questions, or we're just led to despair. To use Kierkegaard's uh, categories, if we don't, mm-hmm. if we don't actually think on this level, it could it could destroy us because we're we're left with all these types of questions, like you you posed, Mike. You know, well, what, yeah, what it, is that? And then
2: if if we don't have, yeah. So I'm, so yeah. here's so I'm listening to both of you talking, and, and I'm thinking. Um, something comes to mind, which is sort of like these levels of enlightenment. Um, And so one of the questions I have is, are we sort of thrusted into that next level of enlightenment? Um, Is it a choice? Um, Is it to our detriment if we don't go to the next level of enlightenment? And is there a way to speed the process up or, or does it always have to be sort of triggered by our life experiences?
0: Hmm. Yeah. JD, please take that.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that it's, there certainly is choice involved in it. Um, you know, so if you use Kierkegaard, uh, he talks about the aesthetic man, the ethical man, and the and the religious or spiritual man, right? Um, and that's kind of young to old, maybe. Uh, the you would say you have a simple man, complex man, enlightened man. There, so these three three phases, and there are hinge periods between them where. So when I'm young, I, I may be simple. Uh, I want to, you know, the simple man and the aesthetic man; those those are the same. And that that's when we're young. Um, we can be self-aware during that time, say as teenagers. But the things that we want are uncomplicated. Uh, we want to have maybe, you know, a, a cool skateboard and a cool haircut and and fit in at school and. We want to have, you know, a home to go to and food to eat. Um, but at some point, we're going to we're going to make a transition from that kind of simplicity or aesthetic life, and realize that there are more dimensions to life, and that we have a role to play. Um, we have opportunities and responsibilities. We begin to feel the weight of it. I know, especially as a man, I did very young. Um, that idea that if it is to be, it is up to me. Um, And everybody has a different version of that. And I think that once you become aware that you have been living in say a a limited fashion uh, in terms of your worldview, you realize there's more, there isn't no going back. And so at that point it becomes it's a choice which when we're young we often make unconsciously i don't remember making a conscious choice to go to college or join the military or set goals and try to achieve them that all felt like it came naturally to me um but you know we do know like the the matthew mcconaughey's the world that just try to stay in high school the rest of their lives mm-hmm. because they don't they don't want to be adults Right, they don't make that transition, and so you can get stuck in that hinge period, never successfully living the way you were before. And I think where it becomes crucial is is later on when you're going from, say, the complex three dimensional life to something akin to enlightenment, or you're going from the ethical man, you know, as Kierkegaard would say, to the spiritual man, and that transition is you know often it's it's often punctuated by some kind of midlife crisis but what that crisis means is that the way in which i have viewed the world and ordered my life to be successful to survive and to thrive for some reason no longer works for me and that can mean it it i'm unfulfilled it can mean that um that the the goals that seem so important to me suddenly don't maybe i have enjoyed a full career and it's been successful maybe i've earned some money maybe i have some possessions and suddenly they don't matter to me the way that i thought they would it can almost feel like a cosmic joke like i have been (laughs) breaking my back for 20 years or 30 years i've gotten everything that i thought i wanted. it's empty and and that that's both an invitation to something more um and certainly a choice has to be made and again you can't go back to it so you can live the rest of your life i think at these crucial points in some kind of purgatory or limbo um and not grow but those around you uh you're lives are a great example um they you're not the same as you were they don't necessarily know what's going on the invitation is to find a spiritual basis for for the remainder of your life and what that looks like is the relocation of your center of gravity from yourself to something higher than yourself so i go from achievement for me for my family the things that I want, the things that I, that I think will define me, that will, I'm proving myself to myself, I'm proving myself to the world. um, But really, at the bottom of all that, it's all about me. Um, And in the military, thankfully, we have a team environment, we have a tribe environment. And so there, there isn't room in a tribe to be selfish. And so we learn to be unselfish even while we're, even while really we're egoically motivated Um, because we want to perform for ourselves as much as we do for anybody else. And that works really well in those tight, high-end, well-trained communities. We pull some really amazing things off. Um, But then you get finished with that and and then it's like it's like the movie i can't remember jack nicholson's in it and he's like what if this is all there is
0: as good as it gets well, yeah
1: yeah what is <laughs> exactly what if, yeah, exactly. What so if this sad. is as good as it gets right and you think man i've done everything that i set out to do and you know why am i like sad and lonely and it's just an invitation i think to mm. to uh to base our our lives on something larger than ourselves um our communities and our families, God, um, you know, pick whatever that is for you. And it's like, suddenly that becomes the important thing. And and the connection to that and where philosophy has been particularly useful for me is that it, it becomes less about happiness and more about utility, because when, when I'm centered on the greater good. We'll just call it that. I'm centered on the greater good and a principle-driven life. What I want more than anything else is to be useful to people. I want to be useful to my life and my family and my community and my brothers and sisters in arms. I want to contribute in a way that makes a positive difference. And I'm less concerned about, about myself. I have fewer desires um and you know, there desire is an entire philosophical topic that's fascinating to me. Um, you know it's, you know, desire basically is, is setting myself up to be disappointed until I get what I want. Mm. right. And so service to the greater good, we learn that in the military. To some extent, internalizing that and making that choice when your service, your formal service is over, that's a higher calling.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you have, uh, as you said, living for something bigger than yourself. That's a that's a big idea. You know, that is that concept right there is formative. I, I remember when I became aware of that. I, like I was saying, um, that's what resonated. That's what resonated with me is something you said is, it begins with awareness, and I think uh, that's when I consciously felt myself maturing, and, and I've got a long ways to go, but I felt myself mature uh, a lot when I uh, I felt the truth of that, living for something mm-hmm. bigger than yourself, you know, seeing yourself as. Uh, like you said, part of a team, it's more than just, you know, the next badge and the next, uh, you know, next source of honor, uh, for yourself, but just seeing yourself as, you know, part of a, a system, you know, and, uh, that's why, that's why I like philosophy. You know, I can, um, but then, I, but in order to, I think you said this was really good too, is, uh, and akin to it is, I also love history. And uh, in order for something to be meaningful from history, it has to be interpreted. You know, and not just a raw regurgitation of dates and factoids, but like, so what? What does it mean? And so that's why I like philosophy too, is the so what of human experience, you know, making sense. So that, uh, just to... Latch on to what you just said is uh, there's many nuggets there, but just kind of get to a place where you, you see yourself living for something bigger than yourself. You know, just you're aware of that. That's, I think you become more dangerous to our enemies and, uh, you know, more useful to the guy to the left and right of you.
2: Um, Absolutely. Well, I was just wondering if, if we're doing a, a decent job of introducing philosophy at a at the right time and and the reason why I say that is because I, I I think my first philosophy class was was in college and uh, other than um, what you hear from uh, family uh, you know the old guy down the street um, sports coaches right athletic coaches uh, I mean you're always getting sort of a, a dose of various people's philosophy as you grow I'm wondering if if um, as important as this is, is, is this something that probably ought to be like introduced at a younger age uh, formally, like in, in secondary education, rather than wait until some guy, whether he may or may not go on to college?
1: I, I mean, I would endorse it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yes. then you, you've got the other... Uh, J.D., you got that other question is, okay, what type of philosophy? I mean, there's, there's a lot out there. You know, there's, there's there uh, uh now, just from hearing you and, and, and knowing you a little bit, J.D., you have, uh, you know, it sounds like a, a foundation of stoicism uh, Then you also find the use of uh, uh, other aspects, so maybe some existentialism uh, and then, you know, some probably some Platonism. Aristotelianism, some you got some different isms, but yeah, it, it's... uh got all the isms. Yeah, but the, but the what I'm picking up is uh, the fact that it's eclectic, uh, that you're taking the good out of uh, these various systems and you can use them, uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, and they help you form a perspective for your life, uh, and then something like that. Does that make sense? And would you agree?
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that I've approached. I've approached philosophy in the same way that we, there, there are a lot of ways that we tend to do that. I mean, think about, you know, physical fitness on the teams um, or during our career. It, it's, uh, you know, you're gonna have an end in mind, uh, some type of goal uh, that you, that you want to accomplish. And then, you know, guys that take it seriously, they'll, they'll pull from different programs and, They'll build their own and, and uh, that's maybe unique to them or unique to their, their their team, unique to their circumstances, whether they're in an austere environment or, or they're in garrison or a full gym. Um, you piece it together based on what you need, uh, what's gonna be the most uh, functional for you based on say the mission that you're doing. Um, and there's gonna be some personal preference into that we're all good at some stuff and not good at other things um and so you know physical fitness is always an easy analogy to make for people because we we know so much about it um but coming coming to philosophy is that it's it's the same approach which it, it starts with in my case uh consumption of maybe uh just a vast scope of, um, of different, different philosophies. So I have landed on stoicism as the driving one. And, and for me, the reason I like it is because it's, it's based on practice. It is the practice of principles. It is very utilitarian, meaning that, um, There, the magic in any program, whether it's physical fitness or it's uh, religious, you know, with with the Bible or it's with self-help books. You see this, or um, you know, professionally, you want to be a better leader, or you want to be you want to make more money, or whatever. There, there's so much valuable and, and good information out there where people tend to struggle, I think, is how do I put that into action? Like, what do I do next? Like, that sounds good. You know, I appreciate the motivational one hour, uh, you know, YouTube video. But now what? Right? I'm the same dude at the end of it. And so what I liked about stoicism was, they'll talk about principles. And it all boils down to what what I can control and what I cannot. And then Okay, what things are within my control? Mm. Well, most of those are internal. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I have my hands full just with that, which takes the pressure off, you know, me thinking I'm judged jury, and executioner for the entire world, mm. which is, is part of the problem that we see. Um, everybody has an opinion, um, but not everybody has an informed opinion. and And so... I, I can then now I know where to focus so I can focus on the things within my control and then there's very, very practical application in, in a situation like X. Well, what are the types of thoughts that I think to enable me to behave in a way that aligns with the principle? And so I think the, the practice of philosophical principle, not the rhetoric is is the is the most important thing, and and so one of one of, one element of that is that I I can I can no longer be concerned with whether whether or not I'm going to get credit for it. I, mm. I have to be satisfied with the smallest progress, and I have to treat the outcome of all of my efforts as unimportant, mm. yeah. so that. I do the work. I mean, consistency is the prime variable. So, rhetoric is great, and philosophy is great. People, I think, don't delve into philosophy because they think that it's it's airy and it's academic and it has no application to their day to day lives. But that is that's not the case. So, even Aristotle said that we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. Hmm. Yeah. Right? And so there are some great books out there on habit, you know, the power of habit in our lives. That's one connection between philosophical principle and who I actually become over time that maybe is, is easier to understand, but there are a lot of them like that. These aren't, these aren't abstract ideas. Um, we can create habits that lead us to becoming the type of person who actually like, naturally behaves in a certain way, naturally thinks in a certain way, responds in a certain way. That's applicable in military service. It's applicable in, in business, in our families. Am I the kind of guy who loses his temper or am I not? Well, I don't get to decide that in the moment. I have to practice the kinds of things that when that moment occurs in my life, I don't lose my temper because I'm the type of person who doesn't. Yeah. As as an example.
2: Yeah. So um, the the, the philosophy of warriors, um, would you say that that is the philosophy of warriors that uh, Stoicism Or is there something else that also comes to mind?
1: I think in that's in in the the practical sense, it's the most accessible. It it doesn't it doesn't stoicism doesn't require a great deal of processing, nor does it require uh, a uh, what they call like a classical education. Stoicism, Epictetus or Epictetus, he wrote the, he wrote a philosophical handbook called the Enchiridion for Roman soldiers. Very practical. Right? And so accessibility is a, is a, is a big part of that. Um, and And so I think in that, in that way, Stoicism was for me more accessible because I'm not i'm not an academic philosopher um it it made sense to me just reading it as a young captain just an infantry guy um and and from there it it's meant different things i mean you know with any great literature it's like i can read it today and i can read it again in five years and it's like an entirely different book Mm. um and so that's what i discovered with uh, epictetus was the the first philosopher that I encountered. And incidentally, it was Admiral James Stockdale, who I, I quoted earlier, uh, who spent seven years in the Hanoi Hilton, five of those in solitary confinement, was awarded a congressional medal of honor for what he did with his fellow inmates there. Um, many of whom credited him with, with saving their lives, not physically, but because he taught them stoicism. And so, that has, in semi-modern day terms, as modern as I can, I can think of now, um, has been put to the test, and was very effective. It enabled guys to survive ongoing torture and abuse, and not lose their, not lose their personal dignity, and not die of broken hearts, which is what Stockdale said was happening, because they felt like they'd let everyone down if they gave up any information when they were being tortured by a professional torturer and so he had to change the rules um and and so there is uh, there is a test case available to anyone willing to read about it that proves the value of it in the most difficult scenarios and certainly if it will work in the Hilton it will work when i have a bad day at work <laughs> right
2: yeah exactly
1: so um that that's how i came to to find it um and you yeah. know he, he, anyway
0: yeah yeah that's a uh uh just one of one principle that i know from the Enchiridion and i i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but uh, an epictetus right. or epictetus uh, but his idea, I think, it begins with uh, focus on what you can control. So that's what I'm hearing you say is is uh, like yes. just like a, a a super huge principle is focus on what you can control, and you could you could take the trajectory of that and stretch it over much of life. Yeah, to even yeah. like
2: uh, someone that I think we've talked to in the past, you know, the author of the uh, Gulag Ar- Ar- Archipelago, um, where mm-hmm. it's it's like you know. Com- completely sort of introverted in, in, in how he looks at everything I mean everything is comes back to him you know to the individual uh, even things that you would scratch your head and say well Mike you know how are you taking responsibility for you know these things that are taking place on the world stage and, but he, mm-hmm. he, he seems to be able to do that and I think it's it's, it's, it's kind of refreshing if you, especially uh, some of the philosophies getting thrown around today where everybody's a victim yeah
1: yeah yeah. there you go yeah yeah it's very it's it goes back to a life based on self-interest so victimhood is is a form of self-obsession right it's very difficult for me to remain a victim when my concern is for others and not for myself there's no there's no place for it like it loses its charge and like you know, Solz- Solzhenitsyn in Gulag Archipelago, he, he said that every man always has handy a dozen glib little reasons why he is right not to sacrifice himself. Mm. That was the summation of how that happened. you know how did it go from their arresting supposedly criminals and traitors, to their arresting women and children, when they had run out of people to populate the work camps. Mm -hmm. The narrative continued to change, but he said, really, it was the common person refusing to sacrifice themselves in the moment that as a collective wave, allowed the Gulag Archipelago to happen. And so what we see happening with that, in, in my opinion, like in my estimation, is that when you have however many millions of people who are self-obsessed, what that means is that no one's willing to sacrifice themselves to make a difference. And if they don't, well, there's some quote about that, like, all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Something along those lines. That's it. But... In uh, in the Gulad Archipelago, that's what he just so brilliantly lays out is that it, everybody would just turn the other way. Right? Mm-hmm. It never seemed like a big enough deal to do anything about it right now. And I don't want to get in trouble. Like I don't want to lose my job. I don't want I don't want my neighbors to turn me in. I don't you know, want everybody get canceled? Has, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a dozen glib little reasons. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's exactly, I think, what we're seeing ourselves today. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the hardest thing to find today, I, you know, it, it, I think is moral courage in people. Mm. Um, and, when, and when it shows up, it's just like, it, like you just found a diamond. It's just like, man. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, it really is. It's right. refreshing. I mean, it used to be um, some decades ago, I mean, you would run into it quite often. Uh, now when you when you see it it's it 's just like man you know that 's just remarkable
1: uh because mm-hmm. it 's so rare mm-hmm.
2: and of course my you know my my and I think the reason that the shows like this are important is because um our our interest of course is the warrior class and so i 'm always trying to figure out you know what do we need to do collectively uh as a class as a as a as a group of Men, um, to take this thing, you know, up a notch, to hopefully uh, sal, uh, you know, save, you know, this idea. Um, where I where I start, you know, to me, it's as clear as day. I think it's clear as day for most people. We're just kind of watching a degradation of society and civilization, and things that seem to be falling apart. And uh, so, what what does the warrior class need to do to? You know, stand in the breach hmm. what do you say there jd that's a big
0: question <laughs>
1: it, it is it is a big question um, and i think that it, it always begins with you know to counter kind of the gulag archipelago scenario it, it begins with a single man or woman taking responsibility for themselves first it's it's kind of like the um the the jordan peterson idea that if you want to change the world the first thing you need to do is clean your room right Mm -hmm. you know if your house is not in order you have no business out in the world preaching to people about how they ought to be doing their business and so i think we we learn the word class learns how to sacrifice. We learn how to not get what we want. We we learn how to uh, serve and, and to work on teams for the benefit of others. We, we have a head start on that. But when that's over, um, particularly, I mean, guys that are in now, um, there, there is a difference between meeting the standard and and, and setting a higher standard for yourself, taking responsibility for yourself in a way that the, the standard becomes irrelevant, external standards become irrelevant, the, the idea that I will work toward becoming the type of person who doesn't have to worry about societal standards because mine are so much higher. And, and so personal responsibility is where, where it always begins. And I think the younger people are these days, that's the lesson they need to learn the most. That's, you know, victimhood or um, any kind of idea that the world owes me something that has to be crushed, just dispensed with that. um, I'm here to make a contribution, not to receive a handout. And that, I I mean that emotionally, I mean that financially, I mean that in, in every single way. And going back to the, that tribal idea again, uh, there, they're really we've had the luxury, especially in the U.S., of being insulated by our prosperity, so that we can become concerned with trivial matters and and focus on ourselves. And nobody, uh, not nobody, but there, there's a growing portion of the, of the population that no longer thinks that they're responsible for anything. Including themselves, so I think for for us as the warrior class or people who are having conversations like this, uh, we must first take responsibility for ourselves, and then our and then our families and communities. And then, if enough of us do that, then we, at the very least, ought to set some kind of example, because. The Stokes will tell you, like, I have no control over anybody else. But if I can demonstrate in some kind of way, type of life, or be the type of person that somebody would want to have that, some young kid would look at me and say, I I want to be like that guy. It's as simple as that. I want to have the kind of life he has. I want to be as reliable as as he is. I want I want people to be able to count on me. I want to be like that. And so if we can model it effectively enough and enough of us do it, then, then we have to be open to the idea that there are people all around us all the time who are looking for something more. And we can't give away what we don't have. Mm-hmm. So we have to have it first and then be prepared to give it away.
2: Well, you know something that I always think about too is um, you, know, you have scripture, and then you have a lot of the you know famous philosophers, and uh, looking at both of these, okay, looking at scripture and looking at uh, some of the, um, the famous philosophers, and, and, and uh, the obviously the useful um, information that they provide. Um, have you found Have you found a problem reconciling those two, those two worlds, if you will?
1: <laughs> well, ultimately, no. Um, I will say so. I grew up a fundamental, like a fundamentalist Christian, like a very uh, uh, strict um, Christian faith, and my my parents started out as they were hippies. Well, my dad was a sailor, which I guess is the same thing as being a hippie. And then my mom, you know, she was a full, she was a full hippie. And so then they got married and then they like, you know, got, they got they saved.
2: Had little hippie children.
1: Oh yeah, man. And uh, like my mom said, you know, the, the first six months or a year after she like got saved, um, they used to have Bible studies and, and they'd sit around and smoke pot and drink beer and read the bible and they were having the time of their lives man and and so you know from that it it moved into like a little bit of southern baptist a little bit of tent revival Mm. flavor you know very kind of um spirit filled. go to church three times a week um and so then i went to college and and uh i i did before i started studying philosophy and and uh, psychology, I did a ton of spiritual research for about 10 years and and then got introduced to some of these other things. And so initially I thought it's one, it's one or the other, but if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, he was a comparative mythologist credited with uh, creating that as an academic genre, like say in the 60s, maybe 70s. And he studied, he studied myth and religion across space and time for all of written human history, and was a man of some faith, though was very careful not to. Uh, he wasn't public about it because he didn't want it to influence, you know, people's opinion of his work. That he wanted to stand on his own. But somebody asked him directly if his study of religion and myth across all of time had eroded his faith, his personal faith. And he said no, that that it had strengthened it because what he found were central truths that occurred again and again. And so when it comes to reconciliation between uh, the Bible that I grew up with, and I'm very familiar with, um, and the things that I've learned over the last, particularly over the last decade, but say over the last two decades, um, there are there are central truths, and whether you know in, there is a brand of philosophy that phenomenology, which is that truth cannot be told; it, it can only be experienced. So, a human learns what truth looks like by living it by experiencing it. And and so what I see again and again in philosophy and in many different religions, and certainly in my own upbringing in the Christian faith, I see so many similarities that um, it becomes undeniable proof that there are some principles that transcend um, any quibbling and that we would be wise to pay attention to because they are the ones that have stood the test of time and appear in different forms. Again, and again. It's like a key, how it's like a, a manual for how to be a human and have a, a reasonably good experience doing it.
0: Yeah. Having said that, I, I agree with you, uh, JD. One, one thing, maybe I just, exfoliate myself here. I didn't know we would go this route, but this is good. We ended up here. Uh, when you talk about reconciling uh, philosophy and the Word of God. So, uh, I happen to believe in the statement that all truth is God's truth. So, I believe uh, there are philosophers that get it right, and when they do, it's, it's truth. And then, oftentimes, they get it wrong. So, I can read... Uh, Plato's dialogues and I can uh, be in full agreement with the truth that he is uh, drawing out through perhaps some of the made up characters Uh, but then in other terms in other ways he can be completely wrong You know, as far as some of the things that he would uh, that I wouldn't agree with and it won't mesh with my Christian faith I guess my point is and I think what you're saying Is that uh, we can do that as well. We could, we we don't have to uh, dismiss philosophy and outright saying it is uh, uh, inconsistent with uh, with the Bible and our Christian faith. But we can we can take the truths as we find them, use them as uh, common grace insights. Uh, It's uh, for my tradition. We would use those terms that sometimes the pagans get it right and we can, we can use those insights and, and, sure. uh, they'll help us, you know, in our, in our life. I don't know if you would agree with that.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would agree with it. I mean, that if you're, if you approach f- philosophy from a, a scripture based life, I mean, there, there is a scripture that, encourages us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling it is the responsibility of every individual to work it out well, what does that mean so first you have to decide what salvation means and then you have to decide what working it out means um, but in the end it, it is the it's the codification of your belief system so that it aligns with the The Bible, which is, is certainly not, uh, it's not exclusive of truth in any form. Um, you know, the, the words of Jesus, in particular, are are interesting along those lines because the the echo of the point of many of his messages is seen elsewhere. Um, and and so it is up, I think, up to the individual to work out their salvation. And what I mean by that is the, the principles by which um, I will live my life because I believe in my core, they're irrefutable truths. And so then it becomes easy to, I can then filter anything that I see or read, whether it's text or it's someone's behavior that's an easy filter for me if if i'm spiritually fit in that way if i'm not then i don't know and so again i think that comes down to the responsibility of the individual to know what they believe and why they believe it it takes work right so it's okay for my parents to tell me what to believe and me just to believe it the rest of my life, plenty of people do that, mm. but I don't, then I haven't earned the ability to make judgments of my own in terms of what I'm willing to allow in what I'm not every, everything has to remain black and white for me because confronted with a gray area, then I don't have the tools to parse it out myself. And so for me, I think to be particularly useful in the carrying out of my faith or my principle-driven life or to be the expression of my true belief system, there's a responsibility there for me to do some work so that I understand it well enough. But either, it's not so that I can defend it. It's simply that it's like with counterfeit money. They don't train bank tellers to recognize counterfeit money by showing them counterfeit money. They make them handle real money thousands of times. And so they can tell by feeling a counterfeit bill that it's not real. It has to be that way with us too. And that's where discipleship and discipline and consistency comes in. So that I don't have to explain to you what I don't believe. I just don't want to see it.
0: That's good. These are uh, fantastic insights and, uh, that I uh, think no doubt will help us out. And uh, you know, I for one have gotten a lot out of our discussion today. Um, so JD, thank you for for spending an hour with us at the G base. We had an overflight uh, as you heard, so we may have to uh, <laughs> get blown out. But uh, they're
2: always trying it's to. Find, always yeah, they're always trying to find yeah. the G base, JD. Yeah, I yeah.
0: hear you. But, yeah, I appreciate your time. And, uh, guys, uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited about uh, the book that, uh, that J.D. has, Forthcoming. Uh, we teased out some of the ideas. But, uh, hey, if you were listening today and uh, you thought that that was uh, a provocative, uh, then, uh, you know, we have some uh, various titles uh, that, that go down those lines. But and in the meantime, before that comes out, you know, you can just think think on a deeper level. You know, just a I if I could just – you know, close out with a couple of uh, big nuggets that I got out of today's discussion. That is really, uh, you know, be aware. You know, maybe you, you haven't thought in those ways yet, but, uh, you know, we have a great tradition as uh, uh, guardians of the Republic. You know, we have a, uh, in what was handed to us, uh, there was a lot of blood and treasure spent. And so that, that deserves time to think that through. And not sure. only that, but, uh, you know, if you're a, you're a husband and a father, then you really need to think in these ways, too, because people depend upon you to think that way. And uh, think mm-hmm. think thinks a little bit deeper than just, you know, what's for dinner and what's on TV later. I mean, think through some, some bigger things. And this will help you, I think, organize your life. And uh, in turn, you'll be more productive. You'll be happier. Uh, you'll be... Uh, you have, know have a purpose yeah we have a purpose yeah. and uh, so I mean, there's so much here and we've just just you know scratched the surface of uh, the wealth of the endowment that we have of humanity that that's uh that's available for us to tap into and use it I think we would be foolish not to, to do that so I think um, so JD, thank you for, for going through some of those. There's so much there that uh, I think you know, you could listen to this podcast four or five times and get more and get a little something different each time. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks and for your I've,
1: I've I've enjoyed the conversation. Like listening to y'all, I always I always learn I always learn something when I'm when I'm talking to y'all and I have revelations that come out of my mouth like i knew him before but really i didn't i just thought of it right then because you said something that made yeah. me think of it so i'll leave you with two things uh one is it's a uh it's a stoic idea sumum bonum mm. means we are made for each other mm, i like it mm-hmm. yep and as a word class we know that but remember it we are made for each other and we are made we are made to serve the communities in which we live um, the next one is, I know we got Christmas coming up, so I hope uh, you all have a very merry Christmas and uh, get to spend it with your families and people that you love, and and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you all again soon. Well said. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you. Sure. Uh, all right.
2: No. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors, Soft News, provides special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. American Partisan is the vanguard movement of Western civilization. Be sure to check them out at americanpartisan.org. And, of course, Blacksmith Publishing. We've been serving the warrior class since 2013. They have a great titles written for warriors by warriors. If you're looking for uh, excellent reference material or just want to enjoy a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore. Or if you enjoy hanging out with warriors, come spend some time with us in the G-Base over at the Pinelander Podcast. All that's at blacksmithpublishing.com. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.